So we are finishing up a series called Heartbeat. We're going to start a new series next week that's going to be in connection with our house group season. But so far, we have talked about, uh, very briefly, we've talked about navigating what we said was the 16 inches. And that's the distance between your head and heart. And one of the things that we wanted to do was we wanted to move you from a place where you just knew about certain things. I know about church. I know about worship. I know about God. I know about serving. I know I should be doing those things. We wanted to move that 16 inches or 14 inches to a place where it became part of who you were. It's part of your DNA. It's what you wake up and live to do. And, and, and so we talked about these various elements that are our kind of core principles. And they're our core principles because they're God's core principles. So we talked about worship. And then we talked about hospitality, and we talked about what that means. We talked about how we thrive on being generous. We, we, we live to be generous in our community, uh, not with just our money, but our, ourselves, our availability. So we talked about what it means to be a good host, not just in this room, but in our lives. And then we talked about family last week and how we as a, a church are going to commit to partnering with physical families that have kids and students, but we're also going to connect as a family. And we said it's not some closed, tight-knit, circle of trust family that you can't get in, that the invitation was for everybody to come. In fact, God calls us adopted sons and daughters. He uses that language because there's something important about that language. He wants us to connect as family. Now, I want you to know I saved the toughest for last. So I'm going to tell you before I pray and we kind of dive in, that if you are a visitor, your guest, you're back at church for the first time, or you're at church for the first time ever, you kind of get a pass today because this is a tough one. And I want you to know that, that and I don't want you to walk away feeling overwhelmed, but if you are a Jesus follower today, I'm going to really challenge us. And I think we're going to kind of push towards that next level, whatever that means for you. And so we're going to be talking about discipleship. I'm not going to be able to cover everything today. So here's what I want you to do. If you want to know more about discipleship, we did a series last year called Repeat. And I want you to go back and visit that or look at it for the first time or put it on repeat because that's where we really broke this concept of discipleship out. And so I want to know, let you know that is available for you guys. Okay, you guys ready to wrap this up? All right, Butches. Butches ready. All right, Butches, me and you today. All right, let's pray. Father, today we just pray that you are in this place and that you will uh, work through me in order to speak through me, that you can speak to the hearts of people. God, I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know where they are, but you do. And so, God, I pray that you, through your Spirit, will minister to them, that you will create curiosities, you will convict, you will challenge, you will encourage. God, you will... will cause them to take the next step, whatever that is, in their faith walk, in their journey, and being a disciple, God, that you would move them uh, just ever so slightly, or you may choose to move them a lot today. And so, Father, we just pray you do all and everything in between. And so, God, I pray in the next few minutes that you will use a text from Luke that will, again, spark interest, that will spark some sort of conviction within us. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. A couple of years ago, Lori and I got to uh, go to Denver, Colorado to officiate a wedding. And if you haven't been out west, it is, it, you put it on your bucket list. It's an amazing uh, territory. The, the views are breathtaking. And so we went out to officiate the wedding. And what I love about destination weddings is that you, you get to go and do what it is that you're kind of there to do. And you get to visit with friends and family and get to new, know new people. But you can kind of stay there for a few days. And so what Lori and I did, we knew that we were going to be there for, you know, two, two and a half days doing wedding stuff. 
But we also said, let's take the opportunity to kind of, you know, use this as vacation. So we extended our stay by three or four days just because there's so much to do in the Denver area. And so one day we took a drive up to Boulder. And if you haven't been to Boulder, it's like even more hipster than Denver is, if it can be such a thing. And so we went up to Boulder and we visited this little place called El Dorado Canyon. And I don't know if anybody's been there or not absolutely breathtaking views. It is just, it's nestled up in between these mountains, and you can do everything from from rock climb to scaling mountainsides, which I did not do. Uh, But there's all these little paths, and there's walks, and there's nature. It is beautiful. But it's not easy to get to. When you you get to these views, you're kind of out of breath. So what I figured out was thick body and thin air doesn't go well. And so I struggled. And it's hard climbs, it's uphill, it's just not that fun. But when you get to that moment, and you get to that mountain peak, and you begin to peer out, you go, wow. My first thought was, what a God that creates and supplies these HD, real-life images to me. But not everybody thinks that. You go back down the hill, and there's this little visitor center, and there's restrooms, and there's, there's uh, all kinds of information about the area, and there's places to sign up to repel, and all these sorts of things. But I'm waiting on Lori to kind of finish up something, and I'm, I'm reading this board that has suggestion cards. And I guess some of the staff and, and park people thought it was humorous to post some of these. And so you could fill out a suggestion card or a compliment or a complaint or whatever it is, and you could put those on this wall. Now, here's some that were on the wall. Somebody said, too many rocks in the mountains. Fair enough. Somebody else said, trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Again, uh, a McDonald's or a Subway at the trailhead would be nice because nothing goes better with a mountain hike than a greasy quarter pounder, right? Here was one, please spray to rid the tourist areas of pests. There are too many bugs, spiders, and spider webs throughout the course of the trails. Here's another one that stayed overnight. Too many coyotes, and they made noise all night keeping me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. Somebody said, please pave the trails. Also, chairlifts would be nice in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike there. Okay, and then my favorite one. A small deer came into our camp last night and stole a jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? Please send the check to, and they gave their address. Now, here's what this tells me. As I read through some of those complaints or comments, which I know was posted up there because they're humorous, it tells me that the people who wrote those cards don't really understand what it means to visit or stay in a wilderness area. And better yet, it tells me that they want to see the Rocky Mountain view, but they're not really looking for a true wilderness experience. And so I got to think, and I wonder that if in a similar way, if there are people who want the benefits of Christianity, but we're not really sure if we want the full discipleship experience. We love the thought of salvation We love the thought of avoiding hell. We love the thought of blessings, and we love the thought of healing, and we love the thought of prospering. We love the thought of being loved. But we're a little unsure 
when it comes to the full experience. And as we dive in and begin to see exactly what Jesus calls us to, that's where we get a little bit unsure. A, because we don't know fully. Or we bump up against something that creates some tension and we go, whoa, that's a little more difficult or that's a little bit more skin in the game than I was hoping. I like the blessings. I want the prosperity. I want to be loved. But I'm not really sure I'm looking for the discipleship experience. And I got to say, sometimes we, and I'm going to point it back to me today, I am guilty of doing things on my terms and not his. And so I began to look at what it is that he wants from me, what he desires from me, and I'm going to take it a step farther, what he requires of me. And I began to go, hold up, I think I've got a better way of doing things. And so I began to feel this tension. Or if you're like me, at times I get in a rut and I just kind of go through the motions and I need Jesus to kind of step back in my life and speak through his word or speak through someone that is helping me or mentoring me and saying, listen, remember what you signed up for. Remember what it is that, that you gave your life to. And so today is about creating those rhythms. It's about leaning in and tuning in to the heartbeat of Jesus and what it is that he really calls us to concerning discipleship. Now, let me preface before I go any farther. I'm in no way, in no way, passing judgment on your walk. Guys, I got my hands full with my own walk. I am in no way directing some of the things that we're going to talk about today at you specifically. Now, you're probably going to walk out of here and go, wow, he really kind of hit me between the eyes today. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God. So I'm in no way passing any judgment. I don't want anybody to leave here and go, wow, that's so far above where I'm at and what I'm capable of at the moment. I I just, I, I, I just can't do this because I'm going to tell you, you're at a church this morning that values the imperfections, that allows for imperfections. That's why we say what we say every morning, that this is a community of imperfect people. But God is wanting to move us in a direction. And so today is about your step. It's not about me. It's not about where I'm at. It's not about you looking across the aisle and going, wow, I wish I could be where that. I'll never get there. Or man, my my spouse is so far in front of me. I, I, I just feel overwhelmed. That today is about you and your walk, and pressing in, and leaning in, and I want you to know that you belong here today, even if you're not on the path. If you're sitting there and going, listen, I'm just here to kind of get lunch and check things out. I'm not even for sure why I'm here. I'm just dating a girl who brought me along, And, and, and I just, if you're not even on the path, you're not even on the walk, that you are welcome here, and I want you to feel that. I want you to feel comfortable today, but if you claim to be a Jesus follower, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna press in a little bit today, and I'm pressing into myself, and I, 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 I want something greater because I believe that in this comes great freedom. And while it's going to sound a little bit like, wow, here's the restriction I knew came with church, it's not. There's freedom. And so today is about encouraging us to lean in, to tune in. To, to, to somehow begin walking just at a little different pace, begin allowing our heart to beat at a little different rhythm. And here's what I believe will happen. When you do so, you're going to see a whole different view. You're going to see a view that you didn't know existed. And I believe that you're going to begin to see church and all the stuff that goes with this a new way, a fresh way. I think you're going to shift from feeling tired or bored with it or put off by it you're going, to, you're going to shift from feeling alone or burdened with this church thing. You're going to shift to feeling inspired, hopefully, and moved 
and stirred to take the next step so that you can really begin to make the transformation in yourself, but also where you can begin to make a difference in your community. And so like the others, like worship, like hospitality and family, discipleship has to be an essential part, a rhythm of building our future, not just as a church, but individually. And so as we discover this deeper level of discipleship inside ourselves, here's what's going to happen too. We're going to be moved and stirred to take an active part in creating that for other people. And that's the goal. So let's take a quick look at something Jesus said about discipleship, and I want to encourage you to take that step. I'm not talking about conquering everything overnight, but just a step. Luke chapter 14, I'm going to put it on the screen if you don't have a Bible. They're on the communion tables if you want one. But listen to what Jesus says. This is the words of Jesus. Start in verse 25. He says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brother, sister. Stay with me. Don't get caught up there. We'll get back there. Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king when he's first sat down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, will he, he send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask them for terms of peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for soil nor for the manure pile but it's to be thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear. I want to spotlight a couple things. I want to begin back at verse 25. First, I want you to look. Let's see who Jesus is speaking to here, because I think this is important for you and I. I think this is important regardless of where you're at on the journey. It's, it's important to see who it is that he's talking to here. When he delivers this message, there's a fir- couple things that stick out. First of all, in verse 25, Luke points out that he's talking about large crowds that were following Jesus. And then if you move past that into verse 26, he says, hey, anyone who comes to me, here's what, the, here's what he's saying. That the invitation is for anyone and everyone. See, Jesus specifically chooses this moment to turn to a large, diverse crowd. And he says, listen, anybody. He doesn't go around and say, hey, I know that you guys have spent some extra time kind of putting in some extra work. You go to prayer group on, on Wednesday. You're involved in small group. You guys are ready for the next step. He doesn't go to, to the religious leaders. He doesn't go to the, the high class, the upper class. He doesn't go to the right side of the tracks. He kind of just opens this up. And I want you to know this morning that the same invitation is opened up to anybody who sits here. It's to anybody that you're going to come in contact with. There's no, there's no preferences. There's no, there's no 12 steps. There, there's no qualifications. There's none of this, like, hey, when you get to a certain place, then you can cross over into what's next, the next level, and that's discipleship. He says, no. He said, I'm not talking specifically to a group of religious achievers. And sometimes I think it causes us to stop and go, listen, because I haven't achieved what I think and what I should have achieved, or I'm not achieving at the rate they're achieving, then I'm just not, he, he can't be talking to me. 
And we give up and we throw in the towel. He's not talking about those who have achieved a certain level. He's not talking about big-time leaders. He's not addressing his apostles. He's not addressing missionaries or pastors or, or even mature believers. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that the invitation and these principles that I'm about to lay out is for anyone. It's for everyone who desires to be. Also notice that Jesus was not talking to people who were hostile. It wasn't like he was getting all this resistance. And he says, well, since we're just kind of pushing in, let me push back. He's not trying to twist anyone's arm here. He's not trying to say, listen, let me convince you. Let me sell you. You know, this is going to be so great. And, and there's a better way. It's not that I don't appreciate the way you're doing it, but let me twist your arm a little bit like a salesman, like a kiosk salesman in the mall. No, I don't want perfume. And I don't need my jewelry cleaned. I'm just trying to get to the next store. And Jesus is not twisting anybody's arms. He's talking to a crowd of people that have a positive attitude. It says they were following him. They were interested in what he had to say. So I stop and I ask, why this conversation that follows then? If he's got people following, why come with such a strong message? Why not kind of ease people along? And i got to believe the reason is because these people had followed Jesus long enough where maybe they were beginning to equate being in the crowd with living out the calling. Again, let me say that again. I think that maybe there were some people that he began, okay, this guy's been around a while. All right, you guys have been, you've heard me teach. You were there when when I gave the Sermon on the Mount, the very first In fact, you go all the way back to the wedding where I created wine out of water. You you have seen me, and I think he stops and he says, okay, hold. I don't want you to get the wrong impression that being a face in the crowd is the same as living out the calling. And so he begins to, to, to move these people to a next level. He says, listen, circle in. Let's talk. Let's talk about what this looks like. And I need to know that everyone knows the goal. And at no point in this does Jesus make the goal or the expectation perfection. He just says, listen, I want to, to, to move you a little bit toward a greater place of devotion. Not perfection, but devotion. He said, I want to reveal to you the cost of what it means to go all in. I hear you say, I hear people in sidebar conversations of like, man, I love following Jesus. He says, I want you to love it, but I also want you to know the cost involved. See, to this point, I'm just going to assume because they were following him and and he was moving town to town, meaning that they were taking off work. They were leaving home behind to travel with. I'm 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 going to venture to guess that they were anxious providing that the cost wasn't too high. I mean, after all, if you look back, the benefits were great, right? Fish and chips, healing. They could bring their sick, and he would somehow bless and heal physical ailments. I mean, the benefits were great. And I don't know about you, but again, all this begins to sound eerily familiar for me. Because this is true and has been at times for my life. I call it life on the fringe. And it's not a bad place to be. If you're on the fringe this morning, that's okay. That Jesus notices you 
and it will work with you and work in a way that will bring you from the fringe. It's not a bad place, but you can't stay there. And, and so Jesus takes an opportunity to go, okay, I want to move you from the fringe into a place of commitment. I want to move you from the fringe to a place of devotion. And yeah, life is going to begin to open up. And guys, i got to be honest with you. You know, one of the things I've tried to do as, as, as a minister is, you know, kind of what you see is what you get with me. And so I'm going to be real. I mean, there was a time not too long ago that I was on the fringe at best. I mean, I did Christian things. I'd show up at church. I'd pray occasionally. I'd sing. I love music. Guys, I even ministered from this spot. I ministered to students and families in this spot from the fringe. But I lacked being fully committed in some places. I was along for the ride, but there were areas that were closed off in my life where that I wasn't willing to give up some things. There were compartments in my life where I doubted and I didn't have the trust that I should have. And there were compartments in my life where I went, okay, Jesus, I'm showing up at church and I'm, I'm even ministering to students and, and I'm trying to get people to, you know, make a commitment. But there were compartments in my life that were off limits to commitment. And I would look at Jesus from time to time to solve a pressing problem. Jesus, we've got kind of a tight spot here with money. Or Jesus, I would do something. I, I would do what I believe you're calling me to do, but where would the money come from? And sometimes I would look at him, you know, when, when my dad a while back got sick or when my, you know, aunt got sick with cancer and there'd be these pressing problems and I would say, all right, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm committed. Or job or relationships going bad, I would press in. But here's what would happen. After those moments would fade, after those moments were, were passed, I would find myself quickly again growing disillusioned. I find myself bored and unwilling to obey completely, to step out completely. Because when, when following Jesus didn't solve my problems, or it required real sacrifices, or it required me to open up and say, okay, Jesus, just have kind of a look around the house. But when I would shut certain areas off, I just felt like a face in the crowd. And here's what I noticed. And it wasn't until several years ago when I began to say, okay, God, it's yours. That life on the fringe was okay, but I never felt fully satisfied. I just felt like something was missing. And I felt like that, okay, God, I'm doing everything I know to do, but I'm still just not fully connecting to this. But here's what I did find. I found that life on the fringe was even more stressful. And I found that life on the fringe produced less joy in my life than being on the fringe at all because I was missing the full view. I was at the trailhead expecting to see the Rocky Mountain view. And he says, listen, you got to commit to making the hike. And so Jesus invites everyone in, but he wants to address some common misunderstandings. So verse 26, he says, all right, now that I got your attention, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, Mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. See, guys, he explains some things in clear terms. And at first glance, this seems like some really heavy stuff. It's almost like you can feel the weight. It, you can feel the crowd in that moment 
kind of settle in and go, hold up, what did he just say? I mean, isn't this the same guy that speaks about love and devotion and all the, uh, like, did, did did he say what I thought he said? So let me give you the bottom line, then we're going to work toward it. The bottom line of all this is this, that a disciple of Jesus must be committed to Jesus above everything else. In our hearts and our lives, Jesus has to become the, the, the focal point. It has to become everything but above our self-interest, our possessions, our stuff, our careers, our education, our achievements, our hobbies, our goals, and yes, even our families or ourself. And you go, okay, 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 I'm okay with the concept of that, Jason, but... But hate, that's such a strong word. I mean, that that seems a little contradictory to what Jesus is about. So let me break that down for you because I don't want you to get tripped up on that. Here's what Jesus is saying. When he uses the word hate, he's not meaning that to be taken literally. What he's saying is he's saying, I need to express a point. So I'm going to use hyperbole. I'm going to kind of give an exaggeration. It's kind of like when we say, man, that dude's as big as a house. Is he really? No. He's saying, let me exaggerate something so that you get the point. So in Jewish culture, the word hate doesn't translate the way we translate it. The the word hate used by Jesus means that it means to express lesser love. And I wrote that in the, the margins. Now what he's saying is, I need you to love the most intimate relationships that you'll ever create. Father, mother, husband, wife. Your kids. Those are, those, are, those are gold star relationships. I need you to make sure that you understand. I don't need you to literally hate. I need you to love them less than you love me. See, he's not talking about emotional feelings. See, we connect hate to emotion. Wow, that's such a strong emotional word. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not talking about emotional feeling toward him. I'm not even talking about emotional feeling toward your family. What I'm doing is I'm talking and speaking to your level of devotion, your level of commitment. He's saying that our commitment to follow him faithfully has to be greater than any other commitment, including our relationships. Jesus is first priority. And guys, this goes beyond family. See, committed to Jesus above everything. And he starts at the place that would get our attention the most. He says, but lesser love should also be shown in areas of bank accounts and our public image and our jobs and our favorite team and anything else you want to insert into the blank. And he says, listen, it's not that these things are bad things. I don't want anybody to walk out of here and go, wow, I got to go home, make a phone call to my husband and say, I'm out. Or that I got to stop watching the Preds. Or that I can't be a hobbyist anymore. No, he just says you got to love those things less. And that when we take these things, whether it's relationships, whether it's stuff, whether it's this drive to achieve, whether it's anything, he says when you begin to elevate that to status that it has no belonging, when you begin to put such a high value on it, a value that it has no business having, that's when it begins to be dangerous. And guys, I'm going to be honest, this is tough at times. I told you today was a little bit tough. Because here's what happens. Our commitment, our devotion will get tested. There'll be something or a season in life where my devotion, my commitment to Jesus is going to be tested. And in a moment of weakness, I'm going to begin to elevate something. Or I'm going to begin to doubt. Jesus is going to take a back seat in my choices, in my time spent, in my heart, And again, 
Discipleship perfection is not the goal. The goal is awareness. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm not expecting you to be perfect, but I'm expecting you to have an awareness. Because in awareness, growth comes. And I want us to grow into a place. And so in these moments where you're tested and you fail, in these moments where you, you're tested and you fall back, or in these moments when you begin to elevate something above what it should be, and you begin to elevate whatever that is above Jesus, he says, listen, let's just regroup. Let's refocus. Let's willfully put me back in its proper place. And so a disciple of Jesus has to be committed above everything else to Jesus. And so Jesus then moves from there, and I'm not going to read it to you again, but he moves from there and he uses a couple metaphors to kind of just reemphasize this. He says, okay, don't trip up on the hate. Let me just kind of give it to you in some common language. And so everyone was familiar when Jesus talked about carrying a cross. See, a cross didn't begin and end with Jesus. The Romans had been using the cross to crucify and execute people for, for a while, and then it continued on. Jesus wasn't the first and only to be crucified or executed on a cross. And so when he used this imagery of cross, these people would also lean in. See, the, the criminal was forced to carry his cross to his place of execution. So they would start at maybe like a courthouse type thing, and they would say, okay, here's where we're going. And they would make them carry that cross to the place up the hill into the outskirts of town to the place of execution. And everyone knew that when you saw someone carrying a cross, it was goodbye. They knew that in that moment, there was no coming back. You're not going to see them at next week's soccer game. That was it. It was their way of saying there's no turning back. And so Jesus uses this vivid illustration with the intent of showing them and showing us it requires you to say goodbye. There are going to be some things in your life that you've got to say goodbye to. There's going to be some moments of saying goodbye to your own will. There's going to be times where you're going to have to say goodbye to what it is that you desire to allow the commitment for him to take front seat. See, he, he also speaks of counting the cost. He says, all right, let me give it to you another way. Let's talk about physical cost. He says, I'm going to express a, a simple but essential point. He points that just like a wise investor or someone who's going to build a home sets down and they begin to calculate, here's what I believe the cost is going to be. He said, in the same way, that's what you got to do. You got to sit down and at least be aware, be thinking. I want you to know the long game in this. It's not, yeah, there's going to be some blessing. There's going to be some things that happen positively, and you're going to find community. But I need you to understand that it's not just about being in the crowd. It's about living into the calling. And that calling is going to be costly. He said, it's like a king who's going to go to war. He said, before you jump into war with both feet, I mean, don't you at least sit down and go, hey, how many troops? And you begin to calculate cost. This is kind of like I remember Super Bowl reminded me of some commercials. Anybody remember the Visa commercial a few years ago where the scene, it, 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 it goes into a tattoo parlor? And there's this couple that's in the tattoo parlor, and there's like this romantic music, which if you've ever been into a tattoo parlor, that is not what happens. But there's this romantic music, and she's on his arm, and she's kissing him, and he goes, oh, anything to show my love for you, and the tattoo artist is kind of working. And so he asked the question, he goes, hey, by the way, what was the cost on this again? The guy goes, $50, and it shows him pulling out this wad. He counts out, and it's 41 and he goes, uh-oh. And so the next scene is she busts out onto the parking lot, and he's chasing her going, no, 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 sweetie, I'll get it fixed, I promise. And it zooms in, and it says, I love Don. <laughs> Guys, before you sit down in the chair, 
Make sure you know the cost. That's what Jesus is saying. Because there are going to be some things that are irrevocable halfway through, and you don't want to get into those things. You know, Jesus even says that, you know, it's better for you not to have known than to know and turn backwards. He says things like, you know, if you put your hands to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. He says, I want you to know, here's what what you're getting into. And, And again, if you're kind of new at this and you're on the fringe, this does not mean you got to know everything about everything. It doesn't mean that in order for you to move from the fringe to whatever that next step is, that means you don't, you don't have to have everything figured out. That's not the language he's using. He's using a language of heart. He said, I'm not using a language of knowledge. I'm not using a language of theology. I'm saying, that, listen, I want, I want to know where your heart is. And so, yeah, you're never going to have all the, the answers, and, and that's not the expectations. He says, you don't even have to have all your stuff in order. He said, I'm not talking about you, you never making a mistake again. He said, I'm not talking about the skeletons that you've shoved in your closet, and you've got to get rid of those somehow before you can start your journey. He says, listen, just get started. And like we said earlier, it means that you take a second, and you begin to ask yourselves, am I in for the long haul? And Jesus wants us to take a second and say, listen, am I willing to to follow no matter what? What happens in life or whatever I'm required to give up? There are going to be some good things and there's going to be some bad things that happen in life. And and am I ready for both of those? Will I trust? Will I attempt to trust? Will I have the awareness to trust Jesus even in those moments? And then Jesus winds all this down and he reinforces it with one more statement about following him. He says, just in case, I didn't cover it. Verse 33, he says, and in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. I don't know what you think, but I'm pretty sure that everything's a pretty encompassing word. Everything means everything. And while Jesus is not saying that you literally got to go home and do a big yard sale, what he's saying in this phrase, give up, also again follows with that cross theme. He said, there are going to be times you may have to say goodbye. And there are going to be moments that you may have to renounce. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that are you willing, whether you ever have to do it, whether you literally do it, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to say goodbye to whatever might interfere with following him faithfully and completely? Again, Jesus is not talking about physically selling stuff. No more than he's talking about physically, literally hating family. Jesus is speaking to the heart. Jesus is speaking to the attitude of the heart in which these things no longer get priority. That these things, whether it's my relationships or my stuff or or, or whatever it is, that might come along, that intrigues me and distracts me and tests me, that those things no longer get priority over my obedience, my commitment, and my devotion, and my love for Jesus. So as we land, the question becomes, what now? What now? And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus wants a relationship with you more than I believe you can fully comprehend. If you get to a place where you feel like that Jesus is only going to want a relationship with me based on what you bring to the table, it'll never happen. 
Jesus wants a relationship with you more than you can comprehend. And He gave up everything to show you that. He gave His life to ensure that what He's talking about can actually happen. That that we can enter into this. So the question today for you, wherever you're at, is what's your next step? And I don't want you to get 10 steps ahead. You may be saying, Jason, if you knew where I was last night or you knew where I was last week, then you, know, you, you would know that I'm so far behind the curve. I'm so far off the grid. I, I'm not even in, in the vicinity of Boulder to even take the hike. I don't want you to get 10 steps ahead. I want you to just think about your next step. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe that's just beginning a conversation or asking a question. Maybe for you it's, it's taking that next step of, of, of claiming Jesus as Lord. Maybe it's, it's baptism, saying, listen, I want a new identity. Maybe for you it's asking for forgiveness for something that you believe is absolutely unforgivable. And I'm going to tell you, we serve a God that forgiveness is His forte. I don't know for you if it's just going home and rearranging some priorities. I don't know for you if it's recalculating your time. Maybe for you it's just reconfiguring your stuff you know what, I'm going to stop worrying about my bank account so much. and I'm going to stop putting in 80 hours a week that's taking 40 hours from my family. Or better yet, it's taking 40 hours or 30 hours or 20 hours a week because I can't live within my means, and so therefore it's causing me to miss out on the things that mean the most. Maybe it's capitalizing on your circles of influence. Maybe that's your next step. Is that, Jason, I feel these things and I want to move them from my head to my heart and I feel these things, but I do kind of keep them shut off. And yeah, I've got compartments and one of those compartments is the way I interact with people. And, you know, I think think my walk is private and I, I want it to stay there. Pray that God will allow you to open up and make these things priority in your circles of influence. And while it's your step, and I don't want to take that step or presume I know what your next step is or assume that, that your next step is this, I do want to tell you this, that you're not alone in taking that step. Again, that's why I push house groups the way I do. Because I want you to know you got people around you that trip on the rocks up the hill all the time. And so I want you to know that Wellhouse, and the reason we did this series coming out of the gate at the first of the year is that I wanted you to know what we're committed to. And that's it. There's not a part six, seven, and eight. That's what we're committed to. We're committed to helping you in your step of faith, not my step, not what I think your step should be, but in your step, becoming more like Jesus, and more committed to Jesus. And so we're going to allow for hard conversations. We're going to allow for imperfections. We're going to allow for doubt. We're going to allow for misbehavior. We don't care if you behave. We want you to. And we believe that Jesus will get you there. But you behaving does not qualify you to sit on these seats. Jesus does. I want to let you know that we will walk with you through tough times. Times that I know are going to jeopardize your walk. They're going to test your walk. And we value discipleship just like we value worship. We value hospitality. We value family. Because Jesus valued those things. It was at the beat of his heart. So we want to make that the beat of ours. You know, I think that's why Jesus said, as he was kind of ending all this, he left a mission. He says, here's what I want you to do. And I got to believe that there was a few that heard this message standing in this crowd when he made this proclamation. 
said, now that I know that you're more than just a face in the crowd, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. So when we become disciples, when we become more like Jesus, we open up to everyone else, the anyone and everyone. See, we are the vehicle. We want everybody to know and know Him. And this essential, this this heartbeat is a two-way street. See, as I'm becoming, never completely completed, we, we never perfected, but as I'm becoming, I'm also creating avenues and opportunities for others to come. I begin to influence that. And guys, this is how we grow. And let me tell you, I'm not talking about numbers. This is how we, you, grow. This is how we grow as a church. You know, Jesus wasn't interested in numbers. Large crowds didn't impress Jesus. Jesus wasn't looking for the crowds. Jesus was trying to call the crowds to a place of commitment. He wants people to be saved. He wants everybody. He wants those who are far from Him to come to know Him. And He wants to heal people. He wants to restore people. He wants to transform people. He wants people to be made whole. And it starts when we give Him our heart. But it comes down to us. See, it's our decision. He has this mic drop moment. In verse 35, He says, Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what he does is he shifts it and says, it's your decision. He says, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to listen, to lean in, to tune in, and to respond. See, this this teaching is not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to accept. And he knew that. But he didn't give up on the people who didn't immediately get that. So as you leave today, I want the question to be this. It's not... Am I able to follow Jesus completely? The question is, am I willing to follow Jesus? See, the first one speaks to something you bring to the table other than your heart. The second one just says, I just want to be willing. So Jesus, whatever is required, wherever you want me to go, because I don't ever think I'll get to a place where I feel able, but I can get to a place where I feel willing. And that's our goal. That's what we're here for. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over you. We always have a place for you to ask questions and vent and cry and find out more what it's like, what it means. So we have a place in the back called Respond, and there's people with red lanyards, and they would love to have those conversations with you. And these aren't just any people. These are people that we trust. These are people that I go to when I have tough moments in my life. They're shepherds, and they're people that we've kind of had conversation with and vetted. And we know that they, like you, are, are, are journeying as well. And they're at a place where they have, have crossed a place or in a place where they can help others in their journey. And so don't be afraid to go back there and ask a question or be prayed for or whatever it is that you might need before you leave here. It's important that we let you know that there's always moments to respond. 